Welcome everyone to another episode of Tudo Português. My name is Angela Samos and we talk about everything Portuguese here on this podcast, which includes Portuguese language programs, especially programs at universities that serve more as like a cultural center, right? So not just language, but talking about the Portuguese cult culture and various initiatives. And I'm really excited because my guest today is usually my co-host on Politicus, which is the other podcast by Pankus. We have the esteemed Denise Borges here. Hello, my friend. Uh, yeah, esteemed. I love that at all. I mean, I, I can't use one of the other things because that's an exclusive to Politicus. To Politicus okay, yes, so yes. folks will have to go listen to that to see about that little <laughs> right. uh, tidbit. But uh, in all seriousness, you are esteemed because um, you have dedicated your life to the Portuguese community and this program that well, you have built. Look at, who's talking. <laughs> well, I didn't start any university programs, so that's for <laughs> sure. But uh, Fresno State, you started the Portuguese Beyond Borders Institute. And I know that has kind of a long history. And now you have Bruma publications. And so I just think it's really important for our community to know that these programs and centers exist that you don't have to be a resident of California to participate or attend. You even have online uh, resources. So a lot to cover here today, but start by telling our listeners, how did Portuguese Beyond Borders Institute come to life? Okay, well, thanks again, Angela. Thanks for the opportunity. Real quick, just a bit of uh, maybe to contextualize things. So Portuguese language and culture at Fresno State has been in the books since 1964. So actually, we'll be celebrating awesome. 60 years next year. So that's kind of cool in 2024. Yeah. But it was just, you know, the course here, of course, there, it was never anything that it's important. And lots of people took Portuguese in the 1960s and 70s. It died for a bit there, I believe, in the 90s, end of the 90s. And then uh, we brought it back again. When I mean we, I was invited to teach in the beginning of the 2000s. So 20 years ago, actually, a little bit over 20 years ago, 2000, 2001, I taught there. And it was just too much because I was teaching high school. But since then, it has continued, actually, every single year. And so now we have a minor in Portuguese, which we're excited about that. Yeah. Um, which besides three language classes, students also have to take three cultural classes, and those can be okay. in English. Okay, so it's not like you, <laughs> right. you're going to be totally fluent with a minor because you have you know three semesters of Portuguese language and three semesters of classes uh, culture, but you know it gives you a minor in Portuguese, so that's exciting. PBBI began in 2018 as a product of an exchange program that was signed with the University of Azores and Fresno State in 2016 by the Jordan College for exchange in the academic program related to agriculture. Jordan College of Agricultural Science and Technology is our ag college at Fresno State. And that was started with a grant from FLAT. And so in 2018, we updated that with the, the vision of the then president of FLAT, uh, Vasco Hatu, and uh, to maybe do something else with the program. And so we uh, began the institute. Uh, FLAT stepped up a little bit more for two years. And since then, the, 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 the funds have... Uh, uh, diminished quite a bit, but uh, for the first two years, we had uh, a good grant from from FLAD. I mean, they're all good, but, you know, substantial. And so PBBI began, and it was an institute basically dedicated to two things, Angela. So our mandate, you know, from what was agreed and from the funds we got from FLAD was to do two things, was to do an oral history project 
for the Central California area. As you may recall, there had been one done years ago at Berkeley for Berkeley. Northern mm-hmm. California with our good friend Yulinda Dong. And then the this one was for Central California and also a lecture and conference series. That was our mandate. But then we took it a bit you know, further than that, and we started a bunch of other things. With those funds and funds from the community, we have a crowdfunding that we do every mm-hmm. year, which many people contribute, and we appreciate that. And that's actually our major and only fundraiser that we do. And then we have the the the, the support of the university. We couldn't do this without the support of the university. So that's how it began, and it flourished to now our oral history just as an update. We are working on getting them transcribed and then getting them into the uh, the oral history collections, and that's a, a task and a half because it has to be done by people at the university in the special collections, and they have other collections that they're working on from the Japanese Americans to the Armenians, mm, okay. to, you know, other collections. But the Portuguese, we have, I believe, right now thirty six online, and okay. we have forty two waiting. So mm-hmm. we will oh, wow. have, yeah, by the end of the year, we'll probably have about a hundred oral history, and that's, that's really good in a five year program. In five year, yeah. No, for not only a five year program, and I think the fact that amongst all the other ethnicities being represented in the in the collection, we. Portuguese is well represented, right? So, uh, oh yeah, well, kudos even, to you and even, the team. Yeah, even right now with just thirty, I think that's what about everybody else has is anywhere oh, wow. between thirty and fifty. So when we get all all of ours updated, we'll be over everyone, including you know the the, the Armenian who has a, an excellent program. Excellent, and so I mean maybe it's because we're we're friends on Facebook, and so I'm seeing your post all the time, but. It just seems like it's a prolific institute with between the webinars, between the in-person events. Talk a little bit about some of the the topics that you cover, maybe even some of the most recent ones, and how people can participate in them. So as you mentioned, most of the things are uh, that we do now are, are online, and that actually began because of the pandemic. COVID, right? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we began with a lecture in person in 2018, and um, February 2018, we had, you know, a couple other ones during that semester. We had some good turnouts. I um, mean, you know, our inaugural election was by the president of the government of the Azores at the time, and so we had 300 people, you know, because it was the president of the government of the Azores, et cetera. But some of the other events that we had, we were up to 75, 80, 100, which is really good at the university level. We did that fall of 2018 and some in 2019. Then we got hit with the pandemic. And then, you know, we just put everything online, starting with the fall of 2020. And the numbers just, you know, first of all, we came back with in-person events, as you know, um, maybe some of the folks that follow as well. In 2022 was our very first one, fall of 2022. And I mean, we had events, we had people, but, you know, 35 to 40 people, less than half. And then our events online, you know, we have, you know, anywhere from, you know, 1,500 to 2,000, you know, uh, views and comments. And and then, you know, of course, we archive them all on face on the YouTube channel and also at the university. So there's uh, other access to it. So we've changed com- completely. We're probably, I don't know how other people feel about our institute because we're academic, but at the same time, we're not. But I mean, we are, I, I just, think that academic topics can be put forth where everyone who is either at the university level or not can have access to it and they don't have to be boring. And, you know, if people want to go read read the 62-page report, they can, but we try to bring the report to live in a 10 to 15 to 20-minute topic conversation that's accessible to everybody. 
we use more English than we use Portuguese, unfortunately, but that is because, you know, there are community in California, especially if you believe, of course, the census, um, uh, which is, we don't have an updated, but what we have, and the, the good work of our good friend, Dulce Scott, um, that we uh, we have around, you know, 350,000. And according to that same report, you know, and, and her study as well, only about 10%, only about 33,000 said they speak Portuguese on an everyday basis. So most mm-hmm. people don't enough. So we we do in English and we cover all kinds of topics. Uh, we're very focused on the Azores. That may be a problem for some people, but it is because the community is about 90% from the Azores, as we know. So we focus a lot on the Azores. We have started a Medata initiative project that we're very proud of. And we're going to be doing more interviews with the Medata community. And of course, we include lots of people from mainland Portugal. It's just that there aren't a lot here in the Valley, but we have included, of course, some of our interviews uh, from all over as long. And we've done multi-generational, which is if you look at some of the oral history programs, Angela, there are people that many of them are dead now. If you look at the ones, mm-hmm. you know, of course, at uh, at Berkeley, because it's been such a long time ago, about a dozen years ago, but uh, they're mostly older community. And so we've done people from 20 years old all the way up to 80, because I think everybody has an, a Portuguese-American story. Sure, and, and a different uh, perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you're it, it, not just the immigrant, we have people tell, I mean, I've had my old, the oldest interview was a gentleman who was 93 years old, who passed away recently. Actually, I was very happy to to get it. Uh, uh, it's not a video, it's an audio, because we do both video and audio. And I have actually two interviews with him, one of them about his life story. And the other one that I asked, I, can I come back and get this from you? Because in his interview with me, he was starting to tell me everything about Tulare, California, which is a, a major area here in South you know, Fresno, where Portuguese Americans live. And he was telling me about all the Portuguese businesses that were owned and he was going down K Street and naming the name of the business oh my gosh. in the 1940s and 50s when he was, you know, a young man, you know. Oh my so, gosh, he remembered all that? He remembered wow. all that from the early 40s and all the way up to the 50s. And and so, I mean, I kind of have a picture, a sound picture, but let's put it that way, of a description of downtown Tulare in the early 1940s around the World Wars and the immense amount of businesses that were owned by the Portuguese when we, at times, just think the Portuguese in and the valley are all about cows, you know, but they're not, you know, <laughs> right. I mean, the, 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 these were, you know, these were hardware stores. These were saloons. These were bars and restaurants and, and services and insurance companies all owned by different Portuguese Americans. Wow. So, yeah. We discover a lot of different things like that. How and cool so, would it be to uh, have an artist interpret what he said be. and kind that of draw what that might've looked like. That would that have would, been really cool. That would be. And so that's and so from that, we've done two documentaries, one of them on just call and told stories. That's going to be our always our theme. Portuguese Americans along the 99th corridor. Where we talked about the community and everything else. It's about a 30 minute documentary. And then we have one coming coming out officially here in about uh, the end of September, which will be which is about 20 minutes. And it's on the Portuguese festa in the valley as well. And so from that, we have uh, we've developed, as you know, the Kagahu Colloquium, which is a community of writers ties to the Azores. We have, of course, the um, Oral History Project, and we have ADMA that we began with uh, with talks with the Azorian and the Portuguese press here, which is the Azorian Diaspora Media Alliance, kind of trying to bring things together. And now we've um, we have two a newsletter, Novidades, that's done quarterly. 
and digital, obviously, and obviously because that's the way to go. And Filamentus is a literary mm-hmm. um, publication that we do every every six weeks, uh, six to seven weeks. And and both of those have spun off to blogs that were in keeping up on a daily basis almost. So we got a lot of things going on, but I think it's a way to get the community involved. When I said ac- academically, so even some of the conferences that we do, we try to make them a lot about the community, as you know, panels, debates, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. conversations, yeah, because that's part of our oral history mandate. And so it can be done. Oral history can be just, you know, uh, having you and, you know, five or six other community leaders talk about their experiences. That's oral history. Yeah. And, and you've done that, right? You Whether you've had authors of books or poets or um, I think I was on a panel for children's book authors, but then you also have artists. And then uh, again, talking about having community leaders talking about the future of the community and what what does that going to look like? So I think that the variety of topics is what really attracts people and um, gets people thinking about how are we going to maintain things over the next, you know, 30, 50, 100 years if we want to, to continue having a, a community. And I think that's such an important role that PBBI has has started to serve. So I think it's really important. And so all of these sessions are on YouTube, correct? Correct. Everything is on YouTube. We have, as you know, hundreds and hundreds yep. of hours. And they're all archived there, and people can go back anytime they want to. And once in a while, we'll promote it through this or that, you know, Facebook or other social media outlet. But we really, well, I mean, we're focused, of course, on the Central Valley. But you know, because they're the the community has changed, and now there's Portuguese all over, as we know. And like excellent piece that Enrique Guerra did the other day that you quoted on, as well, um, talks about you know how some people have gone to other states, but they still want to have some kind of a Portuguese connection. So hopefully through PBBI, we can furnish that. I mean, we can't furnish a festa; we don't do those. There are plenty of those in California, and very well done, as we know. Some better than others, but they're all they're all still. Uh, and this documentary that's coming up taught me that I was wrong in some aspects, which is I think that the festa will continue for a long time. There's a lot oh. of young people that are really, that are really, you know, connecting in the valley. Now I don't know if that's the same situation, other parts of California, but in the valley, there's a lot of young people that are really interested. And you know, for a while there, we we're talking about how the festas, you know, the queens, you know, there was problems mm-hmm. trying to get queens. Not anymore. I mean, it seems. Oh, like, that's good to hear. Um, it seems like the fixtures that I've spoke to, they're they have candidates, and sometimes even more than one or two. You know, that's wow. Great. That's a, that's really encouraging to hear. Yeah, it is. It oh. was really encouraging for me to to hear people talk about the fixture with such enthusiasm, and to see people in their thirties and forties saying that they're 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 happy that it's going to continue to give all they can. You know, so we'll see. And where can people watch uh, this documentary? I know this is the second part or the second one. Where can people well, watch it? Yeah, this documentary will be so September twenty sixth. We're going to have a, uh, a premiere at Fresno State, and then we have a, a premiere in Selma because we used the Selma Hall to re- do some of the recording. A uh, good friend, a mutual friend of of ours that you know, of course, uh, Tisha Cardosa, and and I, we wanted to use a hall. Selma's unique because it's small. And and there's no longer a Portuguese community. It's not, I mean, there is a Portuguese community. Obviously, Tish is there and some of her family and some of her friends, but it's probably 20% of the community that existed when it was founded, you know, a hundred plus years ago. But yet they continue and yet they do. And so we wanted to use this 
a hall that was focusing on second and third and fourth generation. There's hardly any immigrants in Selma, or there aren't any that I know of, maybe one or two. But, you know, it's mostly now second and, and like, you know, like uh, Tisha, third third generation. So we wanted to focus on them. So we're going to have an opening there. But then after the probably the second week of October, it'll be available on YouTube, through our channel, and anywhere else who wants to promote it. Okay, excellent. So let's move on to your newest initiative, which is Bruma Publications. How did that come about and what is the goal and have you published yet? Yes, and yes, and yes, and uh, and and, uh, and and maybe on one of the questions. So, so Bruma came about because we, as you know, the East Coast has through Tagus Press or Tagus Press, depending how we want to say the A, um, an excellent uh, publishing house at University of Massachusetts Dartmouth that was started by Frank Sosa. And so uh, they um, they continue to have, I mean, you know, different series and different things and publish, you know, four, five, six books a year, I believe. But we don't have one in the West Coast. Uh, Dulinda Down, as I mentioned already, the second time, uh, plug for Dulinda. But Dulinda did publish books when she was the director at at, uh, at the Institute for uh, for Portuguese Studies at, at Berkeley. I believe she published, um, I would say, I know for sure, uh, uh, four. But that's not happening now and hasn't. And I thought we just needed something for the West Coast. And I approached the, the press at the Fresno State, which is we have. It's part of the College of Arts and Humanities and the director, um, which is our associate dean for the College of Arts and Humanities, was thrilled about it. They publish about probably six or seven books per year. That's what they do, mostly from the Armenian studies, because the Armenian studies is huge at Fresno State. And so we started it in September. We actually started it about a year and a half ago with a kickoff like launching the idea and a, and a talk by Onesimo Almeida, who started all of this with Gavia Brown in 1980. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we we then had a year, you know, to, to raise some funds. And um, we basically had our first book published in October of last year, uh, end of September, beginning of October. And so in one year, we've done five books. So we've had one, which is called Portuguese Folk Tales, or uh, it's in Portuguese, but with an introduction in English, so it's uh, actually part of a, 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 a thesis of a, a um, dissertation, uh, a PhD uh, from uh, Manuel Costa Fontes, and so it's Portuguese. Uh, it's oral recordings that he did as part of his doctorate in the 1970s of oral histories that people from Portugal had brought with them and would tell their children or their grandchildren. So he recorded these 19 different people. And, what was that? It's very cool. And then he did a good job because he has them, of course, in Portuguese because they're all recorded in Portuguese. But there's about a three to five paragraph introduction and telling you what the story is all about in English. So people can relate to it both ways. And then I've we've published an anthology just really recently on Azorian poetry, 103 poets. That includes, for the first time, American poets with roots in the Azores. So those were translated from English to Portuguese because they write in English, like Sam Pereira, mm-hmm. Luz, Borges Sicardi, um, Nancy Vieira Coto, many others. And so um, it includes those poets and from here and from Canada that we translated, that write in English, we, that I translated to Portuguese and then the Portuguese to English. So 103 poets, it's about, it's a huge book. But it's good because we're going to use it for one of our classes, actually. And then we have a collection of poetry by Alam Oliveira. Uh, that uh, we took about uh, 80 of his poems uh, and published only in English. So we're doing that. We're not doing a lot of bilingual, only the anthology because it served a different purpose. 
but it's expensive to publish, you know, yeah. the same thing in two languages, and uh, and one by Angela Almeida, which was a uh, is a contemporary poet, uh, also from the Azores, and then we have two others coming: Alberto Pereira from mainland Portugal, who's considered one of the best um, in Portuguese uh, contemporary artists, uh, young guy, um, very very good, and uh, one from. Uh, Cabo Verde, Vera Duarte, whose book will be coming out in October. But we're very excited, which is a book about the history of the Azores. And that one's coming out hopefully in about a month. Um, the final uh, proofs are at uh, right now and at, uh, at the printer. And uh, it's called History of the Azores, 70 Questions, 70 Answers. And so um, it's a translation of a book by uh, Professor Luis Mendonça, who is a high school educator in Ponta Delgada, Azores. Wrote the book here about, I don't know, six, seven years ago at most. And um, I've always thought it was a great book and we've got to translate it. So what we're trying to do is translation of works from Eng from Portuguese to English, bringing in, of course, tied to the Azores, but not just the Azores, mainland Portugal as well. And But that's one of our components. But the major component, and we're having some issues with that, honestly, is trying to get academic works about the Portuguese in California. And those are what we like the folks' uh, tales that we publish. We'd like to publish a few more. We've talked to uh, a person that is also a mutual friend that you know, Caroline Gregory, uh, who did a PhD on on the uh, uh, on geography and the Portuguese presence with all the different maps mm -hmm, and things mm -hmm. like that. And so she's working on the possibility of reworking her thesis to make it a book. Uh, that would be, I think, great. Um, mm -hmm. She has all the different parks and Portuguese halls and things like that. And a couple other things. I mean, we we just discussed that. I, uh, one of our goals, one of the things we'd like to have, and actually you were part, I think, of that panel last year on the Lusa American Education Foundation Conference, is we need more scholarly work. We need to come up with funds to entice young Portuguese Americans who are doing maybe a master's in sociology or mm -hmm. anthropology or history or whatever, you know, not whatever, but, you know, things of that nature and who are looking for a topic for, for a master thesis. And if we in the Portuguese community could raise funds and say, listen, if you do it on the sociological impact of the Pismo Festa, St. Anthony Festa in Pismo Beach, how does it affect right. the businesses? How does it affect everything? If you do it on that, you know, if it's, if it's something in your area and you do it on that, you know, we can give you a, you know, quote unquote, let's say $10,000. Now, $10,000 doesn't pay for a master's because they're about, you know, 30,000 plus now. But it's a good amount of money, and 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 it helps immensely. And they have an interesting topic, with the guarantee that the, we'll publish it if the work mm -hmm. is, of course, accepted by the university. And that's what we need to do. So we need to find. I found one from uh, the nineteen eighties, I believe it is, late nineteen eighties. Uh, a young, not so young now, lady that um, did a, a a master's thesis on the Portuguese festa in the. San Leandro, Newark, Fremont area, and the sociological impacts of it, and how you carry uh, on the tradition of identity through through um, religion and and popular tradition. And I've enticed her to look at it and to maybe revisit it because it has to be you know for today's times. But that would be something. So we need those kinds of works because that's our mandate. So we're not as you know as large, of course. Uh -huh. As Tegas Press, and we don't claim to be. Our, what we'd like to do is publish works that have to do with the Portuguese in California 
and the Western United States in general, but most especially California, and translations from English work from Portuguese to English. So there's more access to English right. of Portuguese lit that usually, you know, as you know, uh, we don't have a lot of access. Right. So you sort of addressed two questions that I had, right? Which was the kind of books that you publish. I was, you know, coming from university, I think some people just may assume that they're academic publications, but it sounds like they're not. Um, there, it could be literary, it could be telling stories, it could be, you know, those kinds of things. And you're actually saying we need more academic publications to, sure. to publish. So call out to the community. If again, like you said, if you're a student working on your master's, your thesis, or maybe you did, and your paper is just sitting in your locker in your room, sure. gathering dust, you know, you just kept it for sentimental reasons you're looking for the that kind of material to revisit and, and publish. So I think that's that's really great because like you said, it's um it's documenting the history, but also the impact of the, that the community has had. It's not that we just exist. We actually have some positive impact in the places that we live. So and then secondly, is this a situation where if somebody has a book or has an idea for a book, they can come to you and say, hey, would you consider publishing and you'd evaluate it? Or or is there a certain criteria that you're looking for? Um, sure. Well, yeah. here's the thing. And I will be as honest as I always am, and probably sure. sometimes too honest, which is, you know, I, for example, have been approached with one person who is writing a novel and I, I've seen it. I think it, when I've read it, I like it. But, you know, do you do we want to publish it? Well, of course I want to publish it, but our distribution sucks. So I'll be very honest with you, okay? Because we don't have university press at Fresno State is a small press. The mm-hmm. As I said, the Armenian program is huge. It's what supports it, basically. And I think now we're just about as big, not as big, but I mean, we've published four books, uh, now a fifth one within a year, so that's good. But, you know, we don't have the distribution. We don't have that set up, you know, with Amazon the way we should. We don't, or, you know, those major companies, and we don't, um, we are transitioning. And that's something that we're working on right now, which is having our books as an e-book through the Kindle edition of Amazon. Right, so right. so mm-hmm. that will be a way to reach a different audience than the published book that a lot of people don't want to buy the book anyway. And so, and we don't, so I, I, I told this author, I, you know, I haven't seen the whole product. He's still working on this product, but I told this author, you know, I mean, I'd be more happy to publish it. I have to have a, we do have an advisory committee. They read it, you know, but I, I think I'm a pretty good judge of, of novels uh, or, or I'm not a specialist, but I enjoy reading. And so I, what I read, I thought was well done. It's about the Portuguese American experience, which aren't that many. But gosh, you know, we're not going to be able to distribute it like if it was a random house or if it mm-hmm, was, a, mm-hmm. you know. And so I always tell the authors, whether it be poetry or or, or fiction, if, if it's not, you know, a book dedicated to the community, you know, per se, but it, it isn't to other audiences, maybe you should explore this. I mean, we're here and we can serve as a last resort, but I just don't want to, I hate giving people false promises. I hate sure. saying, sure, we'll publish your novel. And then we, you know, mm-hmm. we are able to distribute maybe a couple hundred, you know, when mm-hmm. he or she might be able to distribute a few thousand if they can get it published through, you know, uh, mm-hmm. a publishing company that actually has, 
a distribution center, you know, and that kind of stuff. We just, university presses, other than, of course, the big people, you know, the Harvards, mm-hmm. uh, the, uh, even, but even Berkeley through the Portuguese program, Duolinda, basically was just through book presentations that she sold right. most of her books and we did and the same thing with us. And so I, I think, yes to your question, mm-hmm. but I want people to know that distribution is limited. So if they're looking for big distribution, they might want to go elsewhere. Sure, but I mean, sometimes people are just publishing the book as a kind of like a personal goal, like they wanted to get their story on paper. If they're not, they know that it's not going to appeal to a mass audience. So it's like I've had this project in my heart for a long time. I just want to get it out and and have it kind of be there, right? So it's kind of a more of a passion project, if you will. And not necessarily something that they're hoping to become millionaires and have a movie made. I mean, <laughs> if that happens, fantastic, right? But- well, I, I was uh, I was actually reminiscing with Nivedi here two days ago because one of my uh, one of my students, you know, and as you know, uh, I had hundreds of them in high school more than I have now in college, but. And but some stick with you, you know, some for good reasons and some for not so good reasons. But you know, this one kid came in one time and uh he was actually the principal's son. And he comes into my classroom and he said, Senor, I need to talk to you. And I said, uh, sure. And he said, um, you have seven books published. And I said, Yeah. He said, So you just teach because you like to teach, because you're making big buckos. <laughs> and I had to kind of bring him down to earth, you know, and right, say, yeah. Dude, they're in Portuguese, and they're yeah. you know, and they're for an audience of a of a community that's very small, and in the Azores even smaller because there's no more than two hundred fifty thousand people that everybody reads, and so we're lucky to publish you know uh, five hundred books, you know, so we don't. And by the time you pay for the book and you pay for everything, you don't make any money, and so I had to bring them down to earth. But I agree with you. If there's a passion there, and and it's about the Portuguese American community. Please send it to me. I will. We 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 have an advisory board of cons, uh, consistent. We have an advisory board, but they usually don't look at this unless we want to ask for their advice. But we have an executive board of uh, five different people from the community, Portuguese Americans in education, and so we'll be more. They are actually, you know, one from the Azores, uh, two from Central California, uh, one from Hawaii, and myself. And so we have um, we have a variety of people. And we'll be more than happy to look at it. And if people say, oh, I don't care, I don't, you know, I don't want to make any money. I don't care if I can just, you know, sell this, you know, that, yeah. you know. Like I think can... about the book, um, sorry to cut you off, but I think about the book, I think it's Egg in the Water Glass. Yeah, that's a great book, isn't it? And, you know, I know the author, she's a lovely woman, and she just wanted to tell her grandmother's story, right? Yeah. That's really all that was about. It's not like she was, you know, and yes, it was a, it was a lovely story. And mm-hmm. so there's, there's things like that. Um, sure. we're, we're um, open to it. Yes. Room also, of publications open to it. Yes. Also, just for those of you who don't know, maybe like that student of yours, publishing is a hard, hard business. I mean, I think the amount of books that are published... I'm sure we could look up the data on this. I mean, I'm going to take a wild guess. The, the m- number of books that actually reach the bestsellers list compared to the number of books actually published oh. is probably 1%, maybe less. I mean, it's oh, just really right. And then, sure. you know, you have self-publishing now, which anybody can publish on Amazon or Ingram Spark, which is another avenue that people can can take. But um, but yeah, publishing is, is a hard business. But, uh, you know, so there's a couple of reasons you publish. Again, passion project, academic, history, telling your story. But it's good to know that you're open to receiving. Yeah, we're, very, we're very open to it. We're right now analyzing one work of poetry. But the same thing I wanted the author to know 
that uh, he's Portuguese American. I want him to know that you know distribution is going to be hard. And but the the the, the interesting thing about it, Angela, I know for your, the listeners will find this interesting. I do, which is we our books, the physical book, the the printing is done in the Azores because it's a lot cheaper than doing it here. Okay, so um, and it's good quality, so we can get it done for a little bit less. Not a lot cheaper. It's not like it's half price, but it's about thirty percent less, and it's That's good quality. Significant. That's significant mm-hmm. because it pays for the shipping and, and everything else. And so, and it's better quality than here. The other thing is, believe it or not, the, the books in English are selling well in the Azores. Oh, interesting. Is And, and people ask me, well, why? I mean, well, Alam Oliveira's book is selling. I think they've sold, you know, literally dozens of them, if not probably hundreds. And, and why? For several reasons. One of it is because uh, our editor that we use in the publishing house, uh, Letras Lavadas, they have a great bookstore right there in the middle of Ponte Delgada where people get off a cruise ship and don't know what to do when they go into stores, okay? And uh, uh, he tells me that a lot of the people that are buying the book are indeed people on a cruise. You know, the cruise ships from that stop in Ponte Delgada are doing mm-hmm. what they call transatlantic. So mm-hmm. if they're coming from Europe and they're going to Florida because they're repositioning the ship, you know, from the Mediterranean to the Caribbean, once they leave Ponte Delgada, they won't see land for another five days. Oh my gosh. So, and so they need reading and material. They, <laughs> and they probably and, and they haven't seen land usually for two days. So they read they need some reading material. And most of them read is in English, even if they're German or whatever right. other that the English language is the one. So they're looking for things about the Azores. And they're not just looking for picture books or things like that. They're looking for actually literature, a good story or you know, a collection of short stories or people who like poetry. And then the other is Portuguese Americans, and that's great to know. I mean, I I got a ton of people, and some of them were quite nice, and put it on their Facebook pages and everything else that were in Terceira Island and saw my book, you know, at different places in a in mm-hmm. a in a uh, uh, you know different stores, and and people are looking to buy the book to bring it back to the relatives as a memento from the Azores, and so and so the community is different, and and and. The, there's a good majority of Azorians who go visit the islands who are already second and third generation. And if they want to buy a book of poetry or a book of fiction or a history book, uh, we're looking that this history book is going to be a good seller because there's not really a lot written on the on the, on the history of the Azores. It's academic, but yeah. in English, yeah, it's academic, but it's not, you know, it's not a book with all those footnotes and the, actually the author explains in the beginning he, mm-hmm. did, he used you know very simple language and no footnotes so people can readable you know and it's basically like this when were the azores discovered there's two paragraphs about when it was why is it that the name azores and he explains it what were the azores in world war ii and he has about a page on that so it's 70 questions but usually a page to two pages of answers on it that are very readable and i think anybody that wants to know the history of the azores without you know, diving into a semester can do that with a book like this. And so they are, there is a lot of, there's a need for books. And then students in the Azores are learning English, really want to read in English, you know, and and sometimes they even discover, you know, there are authors that they haven't heard about, but they're reading it in English. So yeah, very cool. Yeah, it's kind of cool. It's kind of cool that uh, this internationalization is going on. Very cool. One last thing that we didn't talk about, so not related to Bruma Publications, but uh, one of the series offered by PBBI is the, I don't remember exactly what it's called, but the Extended Learning Series. 
Right. Uh, I think it's geared for adults, right? Like, so you don't have to be registered with Fresno State, but you can just log on and well, register yeah, for one of these yeah. classes. Mm-hmm. Is that is that changing or is that not? Because- well, I want to change it because you mentioned something, and I think you're right when you said, you know, first of all, it has to be for people over a certain age. It's called the mm-hmm. OLE program, okay, which is a lifelong right. learning program. They want to do it in person, and I understand. We actually did it in person in in this last semester, a conversational Portuguese class for for like four weeks. And it was fun. It was people going to travel in the Azores. I had uh, mainland Portugal and Madeira, and I had a lot of fun because these are all people who were looking forward to, you know, learning how to say compostage and bondi and all this and everything else. And so we had fun for an hour and a half for four weeks. And um, and so we're going to do that in person, but I'm actually now have a, a meeting set up in the near future here in the next few weeks with our dean to see, because I understand institutes and centers can do their own lifelong learning. And so mm. I would like to start something that I could do one per semester. I can't do more than that, or even with a guest speaker, if I could find it and maybe do something because there's a lot of people. The, one of the, the courses that we did that was called the Azores people, tradition, history, mm-hmm. and I think cooking or something like that. And it was actually, a bit about the Azores, the history, and then it ended with a recipe. And uh, we it's it was four weeks, four-week course, four different recipes, and people loved it. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing about it is that you have to belong to the, to the program. Um, and then you you know you have to be over, I think, 55 and or 50 or 55, and then you have to belong to the program and you have to so I wanted to do it through PBBI where yes we can do it for free unfortunately but you know through zoom because that course we had almost 50 people and lots of people were from hawaii and idaho and florida and massachusetts and rhode island and these were people of third and fourth generation yep but it was for them and so i think if we can reduce it to where they it's a different program and we can offer one per semester you know for like i think people would probably not mind paying, you know, 30 or 35 bucks, you know, for, for sure. like this. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it would be, it would, it, 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 we want to continue that. We want to, I have a, I have a, a meeting with a Dean to see what's a possibility of doing that. I think that's a, a wonderful idea. And unfortunately I've, I've not been able to attend some of the Ole, uh, Ole ones I've registered for them, but then I always end up having a work conflict or something like that. But the the interest is there. Like I really want to do that because I am never going back to school. However, these you know lifelong learning sessions once a week or something like that, where it's just a you know a, a Zoom session and you get to learn a little something. I love that. I would I absolutely would love to do something like that. So I, I hope that you get approved to do that I, because I think I you'll so you'll get more than fifty, frankly, uh, people logging on and happy to pay the thirty five dollars to do that. Well, it's just something because there's going to be some some expenses, as you know, sure, and, absolutely. and things like that. And 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 hey, you know, if we can get you know thirty or forty people, it would be a nice little uh, fundraiser for PBBI as well, just to keep some of our other things that we do that we, of course, don't charge. You know, so yeah. right. So to wrap up our our episode, how can pre- people participate? If you're a student looking, to, you know, considering a, a college, maybe you're in high school and you're looking at colleges. Maybe you're at a junior college and you're looking at transferring. You're out of state. You don't live in California, but you're looking for a Portuguese a, a university that it has a Portuguese cultural center, or you're an adult, or any anybody. How how can people participate? 
Well, uh, they should be a bulldog. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's our mascot, as you know. We have a good football team, and so um, uh, of course Fresno State's uh, it's just a, it's a state college. It's like any of the other twenty three campuses of the CSU system. They're still the least expensive, you know, uh, compared to a UC and compared to private uh, some private schools. So if people are, we would love to work with the CSU system and put our Portuguese courses online. So a student at Sacramento State. Could take Ooh. you know Portuguese and get his credits or her Great credits. Idea. Yeah, student, you know whatever. So it, we need to work on that. It's it hasn't been the easiest thing in the world to do, but that's one one opportunity to take the classes beyond the 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 the, the one physical campus. Students mm-hmm. in the valley, especially and outside the valley. Um, you know, we have a Portuguese course every single semester, sometimes two, sometimes um, three is kind of impossible because it's just me right now. But we have another young lady who probably might be start to teach here in about a, a year or so. And, um, and then, you know, it's uh, we're always looking. One of the things that we're trying to put together is maybe having some students who need some volunteer work. And we definitely would love to have that. That's always uh, the need, yeah. we, have a, we have a physical office now on, on campus. And the reason we haven't had one before is because I really did not want one. But <laughs> we do have a physical office, which is great. That way a student could, you know, work there if he or she needed to. And and if they are Fresno State students, or if you're listening to the podcast and you have a son or a daughter or a cousin or anybody that you know that's a Fresno State you know, you know this well, Angela, we've talked about this for years. The only way for Portuguese courses to continue and to foster is to fill up classes and not exactly. cost us anything. Okay. Yep. Instead of saying to this, oh, let's start a class and let's pay for the professor. Don't, don't pay for anything. Universities have the responsibility to teach Portuguese just as they do any other language. Just fill classes. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, in classes, uh, sometimes, you know, if, if classes have 10, 12 students, they're going to nix the program. If a class like I have one right now, Azores history and culture class, a literature class on the, in the Azores, it's going to be more than just literature. It's going to be culture in general. And, you know, I was frankly concerned about a month and a half ago. I had seven students. So I, I it's an upper division course. So mm-hmm. upper division courses, they will teach them with nine or 10, you know, because they do them in other subjects. But I was concerned. Well, right now I have 28. So oh, that's, that's great. Good. So it's full. It's actually three above the number. We had to find a different classroom. Um, So uh, the the cap was 25. I have 28. So fill up classes. If you have anybody at Fresno State, take a language class. You need electives. Why not learn something? You may not be a full speaker, you know, by the end of of three months, obviously. Uh, You'll know more than when you started. You'll know more than you started. And you'll know a little bit about the history of your people. You know, you'll know why Portugal is the way it is. You know, it's a country that began in the 1100s and all this kind of stuff. We, we, I teach that in my classroom. And I'm sure all other teachers do as well. So um, there's many, many ways. Online, uh, please attend our events. They're free. Uh, please suggest any event that you like. Please, uh, if you want to participate in the panel and you're when I mean a specialist, you just know something about it. To me, a specialist is someone who knows something about us, you know, about a product. Uh, if you know something about, uh, you know, a, uh, something in the Portuguese American community that you've dedicated time to, we'll be more than happy to put you on a panel because we, the, what I would like, as long as I'm there and I'm 64 years old, so it's not going to be that many more years, I would like to have PBBI continue to be a community outreach program. Absolutely. I don't think we can have enough community outreach, frankly. It's a, it's a constant, constant 
endeavor, right? Well, I just I just am saddened when I go to events and I've gone to many of them in the Azores. I'm going to one in, in September and probably do the same thing. And there's like seven people at the event, uh, and there and there's no effort being made to maybe okay, maybe there's seven people in person, but it's being it's going out at the same time to another few hundred people. So why are we investing sometimes in the academic world and in in these programs that we talk to each other and they're not accessible to everyone else? Now, mm-hmm. not everybody's interested in maybe a full academic 30-minute presentation, but that's why you try to bring them down to maybe you know 15 or 20 minutes and less academic. But you never know if you don't put them out there. I mean, we have some academic things, and you know this. We have some things from Lose America Conference that were, I, you know, there's things were three hour longs, and we've had like 800 views on, yeah. on, 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 on uh, YouTube since we posted them. So people are interested. Yeah. Let's just put it out there and let's just reach as many people as we can. That's what we're all about at PBBI. And as long as I'm there, it might change when I leave, and and uh, and and it, maybe you should. But as long as I'm there, that's my that's my my take on it. Well, Denise, you certainly have left your legacy in this community uh, and nationward. I know you're not, but it's, uh, <laughs> I mean, so much would not exist if it weren't for your efforts. And so congratulations uh-huh. on what you've created with PBBI and also Bruma Publications and all the work that you're doing. We'll include the links to the web, to the university website, um, you know, for the program itself, to YouTube, your Facebook page, and any any other links that will help people engage uh, with what you're doing. And um, hopefully you'll see a little bit of an uptick in participation. Good luck with getting the uh, the ex- uh, lifelong learning series yep. approved. I will and, let you know. Yeah, uh, that thank, would be amazing. And, and, and thanks to Palkus for everything yeah. Palkus does. And of course, you yourself. I mean, you're you're Miss Palkus. I was going to say yeah. Mrs., but right. you're not. You're Mrs. Simonge, but you're Miss, yeah. uh, Miss right. Palkus. Right. <laughs> and you were Miss Palkus before you were Mrs. Simonge. I, I, I was. That. I was. <laughs> Don't remind my thank husband. You, um, <laughs> thank you, Denise. Thanks, thank everyone you. out there, for listening to another episode of To the Portuguese. I hope you enjoyed this this conversation. Uh, share it with friends and family. Get them involved in this conversation. Uh, encourage them to participate in whether it be PBBI or Palcus or any other organization or or community, local community. That's what we need for things to continue is for people to participate. So like uh, like this episode, subscribe to the Palkus channel if you haven't already. Uh, we have multiple shows on our Palkus podcast channel for you to enjoy. Uh, visit us on YouTube um, and visit us on the web. All right, everybody. Thank you so much. Ateja. Thank you for listening to Tudo Português, a podcast production by Palcus, the only national organization representing the interests of the Portuguese American community. To learn more about Palcus, how to become a member, or to suggest a guest for our show, visit www.palcus.org or email us at palcus at palcus.org. <laughs>